Welcome to the Digital From Day One podcast. Our aim is to build a bridge by creating content that will pique interest, spark conversations, and encourage further innovations that will ultimately build a more informed and prepared pipeline of learners headed for the 21st century workforce. Hi, my name is Brendan Dickerson, and joining me as always is Joelle Nelson. Today, you'll be listening to a discussion with Dublin, Ohio's Chief Information Officer, Doug McCullough. Doug, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. How are you? I'm well. Thank you guys for having me. It's good to be here. Awesome. Here. We really just dive right in. Um, and can you just give a little bit of background of you know how you got into the technology profession and um, just your back uh, story on uh, your rise to Chief Information Officer of Dublin? Uh, sure. Uh, some people know that I actually started my career as a musician. Uh, I studied jazz composition at Berklee College of Music. Uh, it's a little different, uh, but that was my thing. And I've since learned that the way that I organize things uh, fits well into technology. Uh, I, uh, in my journey, I needed to pivot and make a new direction. I wound up uh, returning to school to go to the University of Toledo, uh, which I love, go Rockets, and uh, I studied information systems there out of the College of Business, and I kind of learned the craft, the beginnings of coding and, and everything that comes along with that. I moved to the Columbus area near after that. I started my career in IT at Lucent Technologies. They are now Alcatel Lucent, um, but at the time I was a project manager working on a telecommunications product and uh, I learned an extraordinary amount in the Bell Labs part of Lucent Technologies about the industry and those kinds of things. Soon after that, I, I got my MBA from University of Notre Dame uh, and I entered state government service as a project manager. Uh, and that was interesting. I've been with four different state of Ohio agencies, uh, starting with the Department of Public Safety. I've been with the Department of Commerce, uh, the Industrial Commission and the Department of Medicaid. And uh, so it makes me a bit of a unicorn in that I am a technology person with business degrees and with government experience. Uh, I did manage to get employed with the city of Richmond, Virginia, which was my first experience with a municipality. Uh, and I fell in love both with Richmond and with cities. Uh, the concept of smart cities was just growing at that time. And so I've been able to dig deep into questions about how technology can be used with local governments in order to improve people's lives on a daily basis. And uh, I've gotten energized and motivated by that. And that's how I wind up here in Dublin, Ohio, which uh, called me, uh, recruited me from there. I still had family uh, here in the Columbus area. And so I did return and I've been here ever since. Great, and it's, it's, it's good to hear that you made a tra transition from one um, kind of first love to another, going from music to, to technology. Um, so you're the CIO of Dublin, Ohio. We hear this term CIO all the time, Chief Information Officer. Can you give us some insight into what that role entails uh, for you um, and uh, in your day-to-day -day activities at, for the city of uh, Dublin, Ohio? Sure, and it, it can mean different things uh, in different ways in different types of organizations. So I'm gonna draw a distinction between what it means for me as the chief information officer for a local government versus a large manufacturing organization or say a big university. 
uh, it can have some differences. Uh, Chief Information Officer different, differs from like an IT director in that uh, you tend to think more along the lines of strategy and vision and uh, kind of looking more towards the future as opposed to the present. Uh, in technology, we have to harden the network, secure the network, provide devices, deliver services, and, and the IT department tends to be an internal service provider, not a profit center, uh, but a cost center. Uh, the CIO uh, coordinates with IT, uh, but then also has to have big dreams and, and envision uh, different things and, and deal with questions about smart cities and data privacy and uh, emerging technologies and those kinds of things. When I was brought into the city of Dublin, the city manager, Dana McDaniel, and I talked about the role. And he used a phrase that has described it well for me, that is to look over the horizon, see what's coming next, and prepare our organization. Either look out for threats that could harm us, or look out for opportunities that we need to take advantage of. And so I go big on, on both of those things. And I think most CIOs see themselves in a similar way. Awesome. So we have many young listeners, you know, who are tuning in and want to maybe, you know, pursue a career such as yours. You know, looking back now, are there some, I guess, things that you wish you would have learned early on in your profession um, before diving into the technology uh, world? Um, one of the things I see in people younger in the industry is uh, reticence about uh, getting into leadership and management. A lot of people who love the technology feel like I don't want to remove myself for that. I wind up behind a desk where I, I, I'm no longer coding, I'm no longer enjoying uh, network management or the things that I got into this field for. And I guess what I would say to them is that you're going to have more opportunity to explore emerging technologies if you don't fear getting away from how you initially got into technology. Um, one of the big mistakes I see a lot of people doing, like I entered the field as a project manager, um, but I've learned to write code. I've learned to do email administration. I've learned everything uh, that I needed to, and I've learned management, uh, which is important. So I would advise people, if, even if you love writing Java, uh, to learn five other languages, to learn data science, to learn cybersecurity, um, because the larger view that you have, the more valuable you are to the organization. So I, I, I would caution people away from having too much of a tunnel vision uh, for themselves. Uh, often when you're young, you think your career is going to last five to 10 years and maybe you'll do something else. But when you're 10 years in, you say, oh my gosh, I'm 10 years in, uh, your career is going to last 35, 40, 50 years. So go ahead, do other things. It'll all relate back to what you originally fell in love with. And I want to kind of um, ask an additional question uh, because you say you've learned all these other things, right? You've learned coding, you've learned, you know, how did you learn those things? And more importantly, how did you recognize that you needed to learn those things? That's a good question. Uh, a lot of what I've learned is self-taught and some of it is just taking advantage of resources that were there. Mm -hmm. um, a, a lot of times, some of us don't take advantage of resources that have been offered. Like when I went back to school for uh, an MBA degree, um, I, I worked the system and figured out how to get tuition reimbursement and doing those kinds of things. But I studied how to code on my own with extra time. You know, I'm a, 
a LAMP guy and a WAMP guy. So I do the Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP. I'm not a Python guy, but, you know, I probably <laughs> could be. Uh, but I'm self-taught where those are concerned. You know, I, I did some web development uh, and, you know, some database development just so I could learn it. I had the basics in my education, mm-hmm. but I, I have recognized at different points that, you know, data is going to be a thing here. It wasn't always, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, it has become more of a thing. I better learn data structures and understand it. Um, another thing that I'm just going to put in front of you that you might find interesting is when you're in leadership, and a lot of people don't want to go into leadership because they feel it takes them away from things, mm-hmm. people are selling you things. You are now the person making the purchase decision, which mm-hmm. means the best minds in the industry are going to come try to convince you about a particular technology. Mm-hmm. You're going to learn in that process. They're going to give you an education with every step there. So, you know, I, 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 I've never had a job where I needed to code, but I, I've never want to be in a position where uh, coders or uh, developers uh, can't communicate with me because I don't know enough about the development process. So you can't manage a group of developers if you don't know really what they're doing and how they do it. So I'm curious, and and I think many people in the technology field are curious, and that has led me to studying and experimenting with a lot of these technologies. So that's how I got there. Wonderful, great, thank you. So what we're also seeing now, you know, with COVID-19 and very unprecedented times um, with the pandemic and the changing landscape, um, not only, you know, in the government and um, industry, but also in the ed tech industry as well. Um, what has Dublin's response been? Um, and, you know, how do you foresee this uh, response, you know, going forward as, you know, the data is changing um, at a rapid pace as well too? Yeah, it's interesting. These are scary times, I think, especially for most of us who are not public health professionals. It just seems like there's some sort of a virus out there and we don't really know how we're gonna avoid it. And it's just misinformation, it's just very scary. Um, We're trained in other types of things. And so we've had to react in Dublin and all local governments, I think, to try to uh, skill up fast. Um, So it's embarrassing now, I think, in hindsight, to look back and say, oh my gosh, you know, 10 weeks ago, if we knew what we knew today, we might have made different decisions. But that's not appropriate. You know, uh, you know, I I think people are doing their best with what they know at this moment. And we've learned so much. So uh, the city of Dublin, you know, we uh, immediately began looking at some of our resilience and emergency response Uh, things which we had prepared for. We were trained. Mm -hmm. Uh, We go through exercises almost every quarter, Mm -hmm. sometimes more than once in a quarter, where we prepare for something. We don't know what that something is. It could be a terrorist attack. It could be a chemical spill. It could be a weather event, a tornado, a hurricane. Uh, It could be anything. But your emergency response is the same where that is uh, the case. It may not have been appropriate for the pandemic, but we had a method, we had a structure, we had a communications method, so we snapped into that mode and it worked. I feel like uh, the city of Dublin had uh, appropriate response and we were able to get information out fast. And one of the things you learn about in these situations is that information or misinformation or disinformation is 
the most important thing that you can do at that moment, being able to let people know what's going on quickly and open up the channels of communication so that you can control the situation. Uh, so we had that. We have a very strong social media presence. We had tools and methods and organization to be able to do that. So, you know, we had a couple of different tactics that we used, like a daily meeting and, you know, sort of reorganizing whose job was to do what. And I, I still feel like informing the public and informing the organization really got us to a better response. Now, the virus has changed and our response and what's going on in the world has changed. So we have to adapt every day, every single day. But I feel like when your organization is strong, you can adapt. Wonderful. Um, now, you know, you talked about how the city of Dublin has kind of responded to this situation. Um, but I saw an article uh, where you were quoted uh, talking about the city of Dublin and the particularly the Wi-Fi wi and, and um, fiber optic structure, structure and how it is impacting um, the Dublin city schools and, you know, what opportunities and, um, and options lie there. Uh, I also saw where you all had um, put a, a survey out, I believe, to ask uh, citizens how things have been going. Um, mm -hmm. So if you can expand on that a little bit more, because I don't think people realize the connection um, and the importance of uh, what the city is doing on the, the schools, the, especially with this fact that the students are not in the schools, so they're really in the rest of the city. So right. if you can expand on that a little bit more for us. Absolutely. So first of all, um, you know, many people know Dublin as a uh, successful community uh, with means. And it might surprise some people to know that Dublin has a digital divide. Every community has a digital divide. And one of the things the uh, pandemic has done is it has laid bare the disparities between, you know, access to resources and those kinds of things. And that has happened in Dublin as well. One of the other things that it did is, you know, we're in the summer now, so it's easy to forget that, you know, we just sent everybody home. And we said, okay, schools, you're going to do everything now in a new way. You got a day and a half, figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that people did it said, well, we can use the internet and we can use devices and we'll do that. And then we found that, well, if everyone doesn't have the same access, then the entire system crumbles. Now we've been saying that in other parts of Columbus for a long time, but until the entire country sent everybody home and found out, you know what, if you don't have accessible, reliable internet access, high-speed internet access, you're actually not going to be able to access these public services. Mm -hmm. That's it. So that became extremely important. And I'm not going to claim that Dublin has solved that problem or anything, uh, but it is, it's become critical very fast. We had uh, extended the city's fiber network to school buildings in the city of Dublin. So they have really very quickly gone live on that for their buildings. Mm -hmm. That did not help with students who had gone home. And so uh, we're still working on that. Um, the city also found that not only were people learning from home, but everybody had gone home to work. If you don't have access to internet, then you're not, you're not participating in the economy when mm -hmm. everybody goes home to work. So we wanted to know 
how bad is the problem? What data do we need in order to make differences? Our city council came up with a visionary goal of the city of Dublin becoming the most connected city in the nation. It's intended to be way, way up there high so that we can aim high and try and figure out how can everybody in Dublin be connected? Every business, every household, every school child. And so with that visionary goal, we've been working to create a new reality when it comes to broadband in the city. And to expand on that a little bit more for our listeners, um, we have a lot of different articles out there that, you know, Dublin is a smart city, you know, here in central Ohio. Um, can you just expand a little bit on, you know, Dublin as a smart city and um, different, I guess, collaborations with the public and private sector um, that is happening with you all? Absolutely. Uh, you know, this is something you declare yourself. Exactly. You make a self-declaration. You know, it's like, well, we decided we're going to do this. We are this. And now we're going to put in the work and the resources and the thinking and the analysis to actually make that happen. So we have a vision and an understanding of what does it mean to be a smart city? And then we have an execution plan. Now, in my mind, and I've, I've said this before, what does that mean? It means that you have a foundation of infrastructure which I'm going to say is fiber or communications, telecommunications, broadband internet, but a foundation of infrastructure uh, upon which you layer uh, devices and sensors and data collection uh, from which you gather data uh, on what's happening, status data, demographic data, just huge amounts of data. You perform analysis on that data, preferably with a middle tier data layer um, and at that layer, that's where you might use machine learning or artificial intelligence. But even if you're doing it by hand, you're performing an analysis and you're generating insights from those insights, you make better decisions. And with those decisions, you communicate with the public and the private sector more effectively. That's the nature of a smart city. Uh, not only are you gathering it and analyzing it and generating insights, but you're sharing it and uh, making better use of it. Um, the city's strategy around that has to do with, first of all, declaring that we are uh, in the beta district, which is uh, the new branding having to do with the 33 Smart Mobility Corridor, which uh, uh, works on connected and autonomous vehicles research and those kinds of things, mm -hmm. but then also branding ourselves as Connected Dublin. With that official public program, we can attract private sector researchers, new people developing smart city products and, and who want to use Dublin as a reference community to approach other communities. That's our secret sauce. Um, you don't wanna be third or fourth or fifth smart city. You wanna be first so that you can say, if you want all these other communities to be smart cities, come to Dublin and prove your technology and we will partner with you to create a platform by which you can show the world some of these things. So we're, we're um, in partnership with a number of global, very large technology companies that have approached us and are experimenting with uh, those kinds of things. I wanna throw something else out here uh, okay. so that your audience <laughs> is, is, is clear on how value gets created in this environment. Yeah. And there's something called the triple helix, and that is uh, the private sector or industry, the public sector or government, and the academic sector or mm -hmm. higher education. And when you, instead of just partnering public-private, 
but you include higher ed as researchers and students and those things, it creates magic and explosive kind of growth and innovation. And so we figured that out a while ago. And so I didn't necessarily say money. You know, that's not always one of the resources because when those three entities come together and say, we'd like to figure out connected vehicles research, or we'd like to figure out uh, something around sustainability or something around uh, data equity, um, you can build on that uh, as a partnership. And so um, we are formalizing that and, and that's a big part of what it takes to be and to become a smart city. So I wanna ask uh, kind of an additional question in relation to that, because you talked about this triple helix of you know public, private, and then higher ed. Um, does that, particularly that third one, does that extend into the K-12 environment so that there are more so students, um, particularly in like, for instance, Dublin City Schools, are even more prepared for the higher ed, you know, prepared for higher education institutions and opportunities, um, and they know more about what's going on around them and so on and so forth. And if it doesn't, then are there opportunities there to, to kind of to do that so that then again, those students are more prepared for higher education, more prepared for the public and private sector? It does. Uh, I have not seen it do that in a widespread way. The concept mm -hmm. behind the triple helix is something that's known uh, by communities around the world. You will see mm -hmm. it in Northern Europe, you will see it in Russia, you will see it in parts mm -hmm. of Asia and South America in Africa and here in the United States. And it has to do, the higher ed part of that is a research. Right. So as we do connected vehicles research, we partner with the Ohio State University Center for Automotive Research. Mm -hmm. um, that's not classes and those kinds of things, but you will have students interacting uh, with that kind of thing. Um, with that in mind, you can have a research style kind of learning program at the K through 12 uh, level. I see it more at the high school level yeah. and in the city of Dublin, you have the Emerald campus that actually has an amazing kind of technology and STEM program. Mm -hmm. um, they are able to do research. So we actually partnered with uh, some professors from the Ohio State University who worked with us to take a Raspberry Pi and put an environmental sensor on it, have high school students deploy them around the city and gather data uh, around particulate matter in the air. We don't have a, a business need for that immediately, but it allows those students to do uh, some studying on something and draw some conclusions that mm -hmm. can be pulled into the city to make some decisions for. So now those students are very well prepared to enter into the Ohio State University or another institution as someone who has conducted research. So it's a great educational aspect and we will get some value from it. But typically you guys will know at your university, um, students are coming in at the university level and beginning to plot out a research career yeah. and some interests. And so that's where we tend to focus, but I, we are very interested in the K through 12 level as well. Great. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, we're excited about that and we look forward to hearing more about it. So again, thank you very much, sir. Thank you for being our guest. And we are uh, excited to have kicked it off in this way. Uh, you have anything else you want to add, Brendan? 
No, I just want to say, like, like Joel uh, stated, we are so thankful for you to come on uh, throughout this time period where everything is just, you know, crazy right now. But, you know, your thoughtfulness, the answers that you've given us and really informing our listeners as well, too, about, you know, not what's only happening in Dublin, but also the broader Columbus region as well and some of the great initiatives that are going on. Thank you so much and uh, looking forward to uh, sharing this with our listeners. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate right. it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Digital From Day One podcast. Make sure you visit our website at go.osu.edu forward slash digital day one, the number one, where you can find out how to subscribe, more information about our guests, and more information about our team. As always, we'd love to know what you think. Use the feedback form on the website, or you can shoot us an email at digitalfromday1 at osu.edu the one is actually spelled out here or simply give us a rating on iTunes and we'd appreciate if you tell your friends about our little show here too as always I'm Joel and that's Brendan let's continue to make the connections to opportunity stronger until next time everybody <laughs>